Well, good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. I'm Pastor Lindsay Rich, and it is great to be with you this morning, um, whether you are here in the room or you're at home joining us online or listening later because maybe you stayed up real late last night. Um, we are just really glad to have you joining us for worship this morning. Um, it is January 1st, the very first day of the new year, which is exciting and fun. Um, it's also a communion Sunday, so if you are joining us from home, you may want to grab something now to have at the end of the service so you can celebrate communion with us. But um, I don't know about you, but I really like New Year's. Um, it is it's not even like the New Year's Eve staying up late that I enjoy um, so much, although I do like that. And it was especially fun this year um, at my house. I did stay up until midnight. And it was fun because it was the first year that my youngest daughter made it till midnight. And she got to join the big kids in what they call an all-nighter. So my kids talk about this all year, right? This is one of the things that they talk about, how they do an all-nighter on New Year's Eve. And what that means is we don't give them a bedtime it's the only night that I'm like, I'm going to bed, see you guys whenever. And we just let them stay up, right? So I don't know what time they go to bed. We're like, you can play video games, you can watch television, whatever you want, you can just stay up and we'll see you in the morning. And so Macy is nine and she was like, I get to do an all-nighter, this is amazing. And she made it to like 12.10, I think. And so it was great. And she passed out on the couch and um, it, was, it was really fun. But, you know, I love New Year's for a lot of reasons, but one of the things, I just love kind of a fresh start. I love, like, looking out ahead at possibilities and, and thinking about the future and what could be. Um, one of the things I'm really looking forward to today is putting out my calendar. Um, every year on January 1st, I wait until the day. I buy these giant, like, poster-sized calendars, and it has every day of the coming year on it, um, and I put it on the side of my fridge, and I just, I love it. I love looking at it and just thinking what might happen this year, what might come. Um, and so this week, I actually will spend a little bit of time each day and I'll reflect, I'll think about this past year and I'll think about what, what worked this year? What did I like? What do I want to bring with me into the next year? And what don't I, right? What do I, what do I want to leave behind? There's um, a leadership coach named Joe Saxton and a pastor named Stephanie O'Brien, and they're friends, and they live in Minnesota, and they develop these. I'm talking about them like they're my friend. They're, I'm not friends with them. They just, like, develop these, like, resources, you know, for leaders, and I like their resources. And so they have something that they call Hello Goodbye, and um, I use this every, every year, Hello Goodbye. And so it's, the idea is that there are things that happened in this past year that we're ready to say goodbye to, right? Things that we want to button up and say, thank you, we're, we're done, goodbye. <laughs> and there are things that we want to welcome, things that we want to say hello to. Um, and, and I think, you know, at this time of year, there are a lot of people offering things like that. I don't know if you're on social media, but I feel like there are so many people selling things, uh, whether products or checklists or things like refresh your new year, right? Here's how to organize your closet. Here's how to check the expiration dates on everything in your fridge, right? Check, do you still like this recipe or should you take it out of your recipe book? You know, all these kind of like, do you still want your couch on that wall? Um, you know, like this refresh, reset for the new year. And I love the idea of doing that, not only for our physical spaces, but for the interior of our lives as well. When we think about our mental and our emotional health, when we think about our relationships, 
when we think about our faith, just taking an opportunity to sort of take stock and say, what do I want to say hello and goodbye to in this, right? Does this, is there something that I have learned, something that I have misunderstood, something that's working or not working for me? And when we think about our faith, I think there's this really beautiful opportunity at the start of a new year to just hold out things with open hands and just to say, you know, Lord, are there things about this that you want to teach me and that you want to show me? What new things do you want to lead me into? What are my invitations to say hello to this year? And are there things and ways that I maybe have misunderstood something of who you are or of your goodness or of your love? Ways that, that you show up in the world that I've kind of have, have misunderstood and that you're inviting me to say goodbye to that and to step in to something new. Um, I think the, the start of the new year is not the only time that we can do that. We can take stock at any time, but, but this is a good time to do that. We are um, starting a new sermon series right now at, at the start of this year, and it's about the stories of Jesus. And, you know, in Christmas time, we celebrate the coming of Jesus to the world, that God came to be with us and revealed something about who he is to us by being around us. And now we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus, at the stories of Jesus, the way that he interacted with the people, the way that he taught. And, and we're going to be looking at these stories, and we're going to think about what we can learn about who God is and how he loves us and what he is inviting us to do to join him in seeing his kingdom come all around us. And so I'm, I'm excited about that, um, and I'm excited about doing that and starting that um, today. Um, the, um, Pope Benedict XVI um, died yesterday, and I was reading some of the stuff about him, and I actually had been reading some stuff earlier this week, and there was a quote that I found um, from the Pope that, that I liked so much, and um, I really, I wanted to bring it to you. He says that Jesus himself, the entirety of his acting, teaching, living, raising, and remaining with us is the gospel. This idea of the gospel, gospel means good news, right? The good news of Jesus is, is that he came, right? We, we call the first four books in the New Testament gospels, right? The gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, right? The good news that, that is telling the story of Jesus. And the good news is all of it. It's Jesus coming and putting on a body. It's Jesus living among us. It's Jesus teaching us about his love and making a way for us to be in relationship with him, right? The story of what God has done for us is good news. And so we're going to be looking at the good news and at these stories and considering afresh what the invitation for us is to respond um, to these things. So this morning, the first day of 2023, um, I want to invite us to do that and to, to kind of hold this gospel, to hold this good news. I'd love for us to, to do this all year, right? This is my hope for myself and my hope for all of us is that we'll do it all year, but we'll just start with today, right? We'll just, we'll just start maybe and do one day and to hold this and to say, Lord, as I'm thinking about who you are, what might you be inviting me to say hello and goodbye to in how I understand your goodness and your love for me? And so I want us to start by looking at a story of Jesus today. And this is a story that's told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and we're going to be reading it from Matthew. 
So Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. And he answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered into the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, and yet they're innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So I don't know about you, but when I read stories um, that include the religious teachers and the Pharisees, I often have a lot of compassion for them. I mean, maybe this last bit about them going to kill Jesus, maybe that notwithstanding, but I, I feel like I identify with them so much, right? Not that last verse, but like with so many things about them, I think I could see myself in them, right? And, and I, I feel like when Jesus is teaching them, right, when he goes to them, he, he is very clear in his correction and in his teaching, but he is also so invitational in saying, hey, come on. How about you say goodbye to that way of thinking and say hello to something new that I want to show you? And so that's my hope for us as as we'll look at this and maybe see something of what Jesus was doing in in saying hello and goodbye to something. So let's look at what happens in this story um, and see what we can learn together. So Jesus and his disciples were walking through this field of grain, and they started eating grain from the field. Now, that in itself was not the problem. It was totally legal to walk through somebody else's field and start eating their grain. That was not the issue, right? The problem was not what they were doing. It was when they were doing it. It was that they were doing it on the Sabbath. And you weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And so to pick a piece of grain, you would have to pull it off, and then you would rub it in your hand, and you would blow it off, and you would keep what you were going to eat. And that was harvesting. And you weren't allowed to harvest grain on the Sabbath. And you also weren't allowed to prepare any food on the Sabbath. Everyone had to prepare their food the day before the Sabbath that you were going to eat on the day of the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees were pointing this out and they were saying, hey, you know, you guys are, you guys are doing this work when no one is supposed to be working. And this idea of actually resting and not working on the Sabbath is an idea that came from the Lord, right? This is actually one of the Ten Commandments that God gave to the people, right? This idea of keeping the Sabbath day holy. That is an idea from God. And so 
the, the Pharisees were looking at this and, right, they were like, hey, this matters. This came from the Lord. And there were, you know, a few things that really differentiated the Jewish people from the rest of the nations. And the Sabbath was one of them, right? They had circumcision, they had some dietary restrictions, and they had the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is argued by a lot of people as the most important because it was the most visible. It was one of the ways that everybody could see and recognize that these people were doing something different. And they could watch and they could see that. And so... Um, the, so when Jesus and his followers were doing what the religious leaders had defined as work on a day when no one was supposed to be working, this was a problem for them. And so they said, they said, hey, Jesus, your disciples are doing what's unlawful. They were holding up the law, holding up scripture and saying, hey, you're violating this. And then Jesus responded to them. And he responded to them in a few ways, right? But the first thing that he did is he says, have you not read? Right, Matthew 12, 3, have you not read? And then he gave them two examples of scriptures. Right, They were holding up scripture to him, and so Jesus starts holding up scripture to them. And he reminds them of the story of David. And this is in the book of Samuel, when, when David and some of his friends were hungry, and they actually went and they ate this bread that had been consecrated. It was in the most holy place, and so only the priest was supposed to eat it, but there was no other bread available, and so they ate it. And, and it wasn't held against them. And then Jesus gives them another example. And he says, Have you, haven't you read in the law, right, in Leviticus, where there are actually priests who every Sabbath are making sacrifices, who are doing what is very um, much more work than plucking some grain from a field, right? And, and that was not held against them. And Jesus, in, in his saying of it, he actually says that the priests profane the Sabbath, right? They desecrate it. I mean, that's a really, like, cheeky way, like, really, like, hey, very exaggerated. Like, hey, these priests, they're just destroying the Sabbath by what they're doing, and yet nobody holds it against them, right? That's, Jesus is responding, and he's saying, hey, you know what? There is actually someone, something who is greater than the Sabbath. There is someone who is greater than the temple who is here, and that is me. And so he was coming, and he was teaching them something about the Sabbath here, but teaching something about the way of his kingdom. Because the reality is that the people had lost sight of the heart of the Sabbath, right? They had lost the vision of what the Sabbath was intended to be. This was a gift from God to the people. The Sabbath was supposed to be a day of honoring God and of resting her bodies, Right? A, a day of recuperation and of getting people what they needed. It was a way of establishing a rhythm that said, we're not going to work ourselves into the ground. Right? We're going to honor that we're made with these human bodies that need rest. And we're going to worship God on this day. And they had lost sight of, of what the Sabbath actually was for and why God had given it to them in the first place. And so what, like, what had happened is that the Sabbath had actually become a day for keeping the regulations that had expressed their desire to honor God. Right? I want, I, I want to explain that because at first, at first that kind of sounds good, doesn't it? Like, don't, don't we want to do things that would express our desire to honor God? And we would. And this is part of why I say I feel so much compassion for these religious leaders, because sometimes I wonder if this actually started with a good idea, 
that they just kept going with until it became a bad idea. Because what they wanted to do was they wanted to honor God, right? And so they had this, this desire to keep the command, to say, hey, we want to keep the Sabbath day holy. That's what the command is, right? And, and so they said, okay, well, we're going to do that by not working. And so we don't want to work, so what, what constitutes work? Okay, well, this is work. How do you rest? Okay, this is rest. This is work. How many steps can we take? Well, we have to eat. Do, can we prepare our food? Is that work? What's work? And what qualifies as work? Because we don't want to work on the Sabbath day because we want to keep it holy. And then what ended up happening was instead of actually honoring God on the Sabbath day, it became a day that was focused on the regulations that they had put in place that they thought were necessary to honor God and to keep the Sabbath holy. And so it wasn't, this stuff wasn't given by God to say this is what the Sabbath is. This is how to do that. This was how they had understood what it would mean to honor God and keep the Sabbath, right? And so this is, this is something like to recognize because what was happening is that the religious people, they weren't actually upset with people breaking God's command because they hadn't broken God's command, but they were upset at how they understood God's command to be worked out and that the people weren't following that, right? This is um, what happens sometimes if we aren't careful at where our arrows point. One of my favorite um, seminary professors talked about arrows a lot. And, and so the idea is, he would, he would tell us, he would say, just be careful and how you're thinking about God, and how you're talking about God, and how you're living this stuff out, to think about where your arrows are pointing. Is it pointing to you and what you're doing to follow God, or is it pointing to God? Right? In the way that we talk about things, is it actually pointing to Jesus, or does it point to us? And there are different ways that this can come out, and a lot of it's really subtle, right? I've changed some of how I talk about things because of that, because of thinking, where do my arrows point? So prayer is one example, right? Prayer is an area um, that I am really passionate about. I love prayer. My heart feels at home um, with the Lord in prayer. And when I talk about prayer, I have stopped saying that prayer is powerful. I have started talking about prayer in a way that says that the God to whom we pray is powerful. And we are invited to come and to bring our requests to him. Do you see the, the, the slight shift there? Because prayer being powerful points to me. Because I'm the one who prays. But it's not prayer that's powerful. It's God who is powerful. It's God who does a work in our lives. It's God who invites us to interact with him and to move with him. And so these slight shifts point the arrows at God instead of at us. And I kept thinking about that when I was reading this story. I kept thinking about arrows. And I kept thinking, I think maybe that's what's happened with this idea of Sabbath, right? That instead of pointing to God and instead of honoring God, it became about the regulations that people put in place that they thought would honor God. I have a funny example of, of this too. You know, I mentioned prayer. Um, I teach about prayer a lot and um, have taught a lot of different people about prayer. And one of the things that I teach people when I'm teaching them to pray is to pray with their eyes open. And I would just like to tell you, people don't like that. <laughs> um, it does not, there is a lot of resistance in the beginning, right? And it's not that clo closing your eyes is not wrong, right? This is, I'm not telling you to say goodbye to closing your eyes in 2023, right? But, but just this idea 
of, uh, we'll, be, we'll be praying. And then I'll say, okay, I want you to pray, but this time I want you to keep your eyes open. And right, we just have such a habit, don't we? When we pray, what do we do? We bow our head and we close our eyes, right? That's just what we do. But I say, okay, we're going to pray and we're going to open our eyes. And the thing is, it's not just that it's a habit. There is something that feels disrespectful when people start to do that, right? They say, well, that it feels dishonoring to God or something to keep my eyes open when I pray. And I get that, right? I, I understand the, the emotion behind that and the way that that would feel. And it's wild, though, when we think about it, because there are zero verses in the Bible that talk about closing our eyes when we pray. Not a one. There are verses that talk about lifting our eyes to the heavens when we pray. There are, there are places that talk about watching and praying. There is nothing that says we have to close our eyes. So again, it's not wrong to close your eyes, but it's also not wrong to keep your eyes open. And so when I suggest that, right, it's just, it's a funny thing to think about the ways that we've just come to do things that we think this is the way things go, and this is the way things are, and this is what's honoring, and this is what's respectful. And so when we think about this example and this story about the Sabbath, right, um, and, and think about what might that look like today, right? And this is a, a small and silly example, but if someone came here and they were learning to pray and they were praying with their eyes open and we would say to them, oh, go ahead and close your eyes because that's respectful, then we might accidentally be putting something that we think is respectful, that we think is honoring to God, but that Jesus himself never said, this is how you honor me, right? And so that example is something that's really, you know, kind of small and silly. But the real question for us is where else might this kind of thing show up in our lives? In what ways might we live or talk or worship or pray or think about God where we've kind of accidentally put our own ideas about God onto his kingdom that Jesus didn't actually bring? And so the prize for us is to be curious about this, to be curious about our own faith, to be curious about the stories of Jesus that we read when we hold them. And we say, Jesus, what is it about your kingdom that you came to bring that you want me to say hello to? What did you come to show me about your love for me and what you're inviting me to do to join you in that? And if there's a way that I've misunderstood it, will you help me see it so I can say goodbye to it? Okay, so Jesus started by telling them, have you not read? And the next thing that Jesus did in responding to them was he said, if you had known what this means, right? He says, now if you had known what this means, and now our ears should perk up, <laughs> like, oh, okay. Jesus is saying to them, right, to these religious people, you don't understand something. You you've missed the meaning. You've missed the meaning of this verse. And he says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Right? That's a quote from the, from, um, the Old Testament in Hosea. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you, you have misunderstood the scriptures that you are building your life on. Right? This, this story of faith, the heart of this thing, that the scriptures that you have read, some of it you've memorized, that, that means so much to do, you means so much to you. You haven't 
actually entered into the meaning of this thing. And so Jesus is saying, you, you didn't understand, right? If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. If you had gotten that, then you actually wouldn't have made that accusation and told these people that what they were doing was wrong because it wasn't wrong. And Jesus is saying, you, you know, you, you've, you've missed that. Now, I want, I want you to think with me right now about just what a big deal it was to make this statement, right? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. If you've been kicking around in the church for a while, you, you may have heard that before. And, you know, some of this stuff, it loses the gut punch that it would have had when it first came, right? But, but this is actually a quote from Hosea. Hosea was a prophet who came before Jesus. And Hosea, prophet, all prophets, would bring either a message from God or about God to the people. And Hosea was bringing this message about the character of God, about who God is, and saying this is something about God that, that you need to know, that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. And in this time, in antiquity, all of the religions centered on sacrifice, right? It was J Judaism, but also all of the surrounding religions, right? Sacrifice was just a fundamental part of how people lived out their faith. And so for um, to, for Hosea at that time, and then Jesus, again, right, so Jesus hadn't died yet, so Hosea was saying this before Jesus came, and then Jesus came, and he hadn't died. People were fully involved in the sacrificial system of living out repentance through sacrifice, and so the courage and the insight to downgrade this practice of sacrifice and to say, do you know what God's after? Not sacrifice. God is after a heart of compassion. God desires mercy, right? This is the thing that distinguishes God's people, right? It, it, and he's saying this, you guys have, you've missed it. You know, you didn't understand what Hosea was telling you about the heart of God. You misunderstood what he was teaching you when he was telling you about the heart and the character of God. Right, so Jesus is saying, listen, God's heart, my heart, Jesus, who was God, is centered on mercy and compassion. It's not on sacrifice. It's not on towing the line. It's not on keeping the regulations, no matter how sacred they are. That is not the heart of God. The heart of God is to be merciful and compassionate. The heart of God is loving people. God is for the people that he made. And this is the gospel, right? This is the good news. This is, this is what Jesus was presenting to them afresh with this idea of Sabbath, right? What did God do? He came and gave you this very good gift because God is for you. But the, the religious leaders, um, they didn't like what Jesus was suggesting, right? They did not want to say goodbye to the things that Jesus was inviting them to say goodbye to in their understanding of Sabbath and regulations. And, you know, that's sad in, in a lot of ways when we would think, why, why is that, right? Their interpretation of God's word, their understanding of how to live out the Sabbath it put them in charge. It allowed them to be comfortable. 
if they were the ones who got to decide what it looks like to worship. This is what qualifies as holy worship. This is what breaking the law looks like. This is, if you do this, you break the law. If you do this, you don't. It would mean that they were the ones who were kind of always on the right side of it. They would never be the lawbreakers. They would never be the poor. They would never be the outsiders. They would be the ones who were always in the position of comfort. And so we see how they responded to Jesus. And they conspired to destroy him. It says they wanted to kill him. Right? They, their opposition was so bitter to a healing. Right? To a healing. Jesus saw a man with a withered up hand and spoke and said, stretch it out. And he healed it. And they were outraged. Right? Because to accept that, to accept that healing, would mean that their leadership was threatened. It would mean that they could lose everything. And so they had to keep on defining God's kingdom the way that they had been defining God's kingdom. Right? Sabbath had to be regulated. The rules that they had set had to be followed even though Jesus had come to show them a better way, even though Jesus came and showed them the way of shalom, the way where, where hands are healed and sight is restored and hungry people are fed and everyone is welcomed. No one is unworthy of receiving God's love. They could not allow this gift of grace that Jesus was offering to someone because it came outside of the way that they thought that it should come. And if they wanted to maintain the comfortable life that they had established, then they had to keep the systems in place that they had put there. And sometimes I wonder, who would be upset with a healing? And then I look at myself, and I say, Lord, is it me? I don't know, sometimes I wonder if we come up with things that might start out as beautiful ways of honoring God. And then we kind of get down the road of it. And then these things accidentally get enmeshed with our understanding of who God is and of the gospel. And these are things that Jesus never actually taught about. But we've become so familiar with pairing them with our faith that sometimes it can be a distraction from true worship. So Jesus came, and in his stories, and in this story, was showing what the Sabbath and what his kingdom really look like. Right? And so in this story that we just read, some hungry guys get food, a crippled man gets healed, and the rules of some powerful men are ignored. This is a kingdom that turns things upside down. This is the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. We just um, celebrated Christmas Day, and one of my favorite parts of the Christmas story is actually Mary's song. So after the angel comes and tells her that she is going to carry and deliver the Messiah, um, she sings this song, and I actually want to read it to, to you. Um, from Luke. So in Luke 1, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord 
and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And I think that that first part that we just read is often the part that we think of when we think of Mary and when we think of her song. But this is where it starts to shift, and this is what I love, right? In verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So often when we think of Mary, you know, we think of Mary as this young, quiet girl. But like, this is the song of a revolutionary, right? When, when you are reading what she's actually singing, it's like, wait, 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 read that part again? Wait, what, is she, what did she just say? And I don't know if you know this, um, but actually, in the last century, three different countries have actually banned the public reading of Mary's song. They don't allow it to be read out loud um, because they recognize that they think it is dangerously subversive. And so they just say, you know what, this is not going to be read because we don't want people talking about God raising up the humble and taking rulers off their thrones. And so we, that is, X that part out, right? Rip it out of the Bibles. Nobody can read that out loud, um, right? But when I read that and I think about Mary singing this song, I think, Mary, what kind of a kingdom did you think Jesus was bringing? Right? What kind of a kingdom do we think that Jesus has brought? What kinds of characteristics did Jesus come to, to show us in living among us? And a question that I kind of keep thinking about is, how are our thoughts about God's kingdom different than the kingdom that Jesus actually brought? Are there places where I have ideas about what the kingdom of God is and looks like and requires or, or does or is about that actually looks different than the kingdom that Jesus came to bring, right? If I read the stories and I look at the teachings and I do all this stuff, are there places where there is an invitation for me to say, oh, this is better than I even thought. Oh, this is different than I realized. And these two questions that I keep coming back to is why do people resist some of the messages of God's kingdom? Why do we resist some of the messages of God's kingdom? And if we make it really personal, why do I resist some of the messages of God's kingdom? I wonder for some of us, if, like the Pharisees, it might cost us something. If it might cost us our comfort. If it might require something more of us than we want to consider. And then I wonder for others of us, if maybe we've just heard other people's interpretations 
right? Other people's ideas of what God's words mean for so long that we don't even understand or recognize all of the goodness that's being offered to us. Maybe it's not so much that we have resisted, but maybe we just haven't realized how available God's kingdom really is to us. Right? What if everything Jesus said really is true? What if the grace of Jesus really is enough? What if there really is no limit to the love that God has for us? What if this amazing grace that we sing about really is amazing and dazzling and is for us? And what if the list of things that we think are required to prove how serious we are about our faith or that we think is required of us in some way, what if that's not actually a requirement from Jesus? And what if we could actually sit and receive the fullness of our own belovedness and the way that God loves us and be transformed by that? And that our arrows would point to the goodness and the bigness and the love of God and not on what we have to do to earn it or to deserve it or any other thing. So friends, on this new year, as we kind of hold the gospel, we hold the good news, we start looking at the stories of Jesus all over again this year. What are the things that the Lord is inviting us to say goodbye to? And what is the Lord inviting us to say hello to? Are there ways that we have understood ourselves? Or ways that we've understood the Lord? Or things that we've thought about God's kingdom? Or about how he interacts with us or other people? Are there ways of thinking about our neighbor? Are there ways of thinking about the whole of our lives that God would invite us to say hello or goodbye to in some new way this year? Right, the coming of Jesus at Christmas, right, the, the existence of God among us all of the time is not something to be afraid of. It is better than we ever could have imagined. This is good news for us. And there is so much for us to say hello to. So um, in just a minute, we're going to take communion together. And I wonder if there's something that we might say hello to Jesus in doing that. But I wonder if you would just pray with me now as we prepare for that. Lord, as we come into this new year, this day fresh with opportunity and ideas. Lord, we are, are here with open hands. And God, we ask that in this year and in these times, Lord, that you would help us to have minds and hearts that are open to all that you have for us. And Lord, as we take stock, not only of our 
refrigerator and if the ketchup is expired and, and the things around us. Lord, will you help us to just sit and to reflect on our faith journey with you? As we think about these stories and as we read them this year, will you teach us again about who you are and about the kingdom that you came to bring? Will you help us, Lord, be dazzled all over again with who you are? This God who loved us so much to come to the world to teach us and show us who you are and to make a way for us to be with you. So Lord, help us to see and to receive um, all that you have for us this year, but especially just right now, today, in this moment. Amen.